Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Life Lessons from Sport and Beyond. I'm Simon Mundy and my guest today is England Rugby Head Coach Eddie Jones. The theme of our chat is around leadership, but frankly, we discuss all sorts. Eddie's in the final two years of his reign in charge of England. He's confirmed he will go after the 2023 World Cup. So the upcoming Autumn Internationals are going to be a great chance to try out a few ideas with one eye on the game's biggest prize in two years' time. It really was a pleasure chatting to Eddie. And here is a snapshot of what's coming up. And the research shows that most people can only ever remember three things. You know, you go to a business meeting and there's 65 slides. Well, three of them account, the other 62 are for, I don't know, I'm still trying to work out what they're for. Before we get to it, I have to give a shout out to my sponsors whose support enables me to put out weekly episodes. Now, I am a CBD fan and have been for several years now. And Pure Sports CBD are, in my view, the most exciting brand around. They have a brilliant range of oils, capsules, balms and nootropics something for everyone whether you're anxious stressed struggling to focus or sleep i use their clarity oil in the morning their unwind oil at night as well as their deep sleep nootropics and i certainly feel the benefits and my fitness tracker backs me up certainly on the sleep front now pure sports cbd products are triple lab tested and used by lots of the world's top elite athletes And the good news is you can get a whopping 20% off their superb products by using the code LIFE20, that's LIFE and the number 20, all one word, at checkout. Just head to puresportcbd.com. Now, let's get to this week's conversation with England Rugby Head Coach, Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones. Lovely to have you on the podcast and thank you very much for your time because I know you're a very busy man, so I'm very grateful. Uh, pleasure, Simon. 
as you know, I uh, grew up as a rugby fan. My father is a fanatic rugby supporter and I've thoroughly enjoyed your time in charge. And I know uh, we're into the final straight, as it were, with the last two years before the 2023 World Cup. But we're going to talk about leadership today, uh, Eddie, a subject, obviously, you know, a tremendous amount about. You've got a book coming out, which is very exciting. And normally, actually, I'll have read guest books before the interview. So it's exciting to try and distill some nuggets of wisdom before having read the book for a change. But before I get into that, a couple of other bits really about you, your motivations, uh, your values. And actually, I want to start with the time we met. You won't remember it, Eddie, I guarantee you. I was a Radio 1 reporter and I was doing interviews down at Penny Hill Park. It was around the time England were becoming the second team in the history of rugby to go a year undefeated. Anyway, you bowled past me in the corridor. You were clearly in a hurry. Anyway, and I said, Eddie, and you stopped suddenly and you were super friendly, super welcoming, big beaming smile. And it really made an impression on me. You know, these kind of things, I think, often stick with you. And first of all, I want to say thank you for that, because like I said, it, it did. I had a spring in my step after I left Penny Hill that day. But it also leads me to my first point, which is that connection, it seems to me, is a really important value for you, both as a coach with your players, but just generally as a human being. Is that accurate? Oh, look, I think it's, you know, it's, it's basically the root of everything, unless you've got a connection with uh, a team or connection with people, it's hard to have uh, any progress. So you're always looking to see how you can make a good connection. How would you advise someone to make a good connection? For me, it's about, you know, being sincerely interested in them. But what's your words of wisdom on it? Uh, well, I think you've got to be, if you haven't got a strong curiosity, you've got to develop it. And I think you can develop it because I think, uh, yeah, to get to know someone, you need to you need to ask questions and good questions and find out a little bit about them and and try to get some sort of uh, area you've got in common. And as soon as you've got an area in common, um, you've got a chance to make some sort of connection. But I think uh, you know you have to be curious. You have to want to know about people. You have to want to know about how you can develop something that's meaningful. And that curiosity and interest in other people, I mean, that's a key part of leadership, certainly your leadership style. I know you've spoken about it, but in my experience, sometimes leaders can overlook that part and it becomes more about them rather than having an interest in the people that they are trying to lead, essentially. Yeah, I think, generally speaking, you know, leaders are always curious and then they, they might get to a stage where they think they know a fair bit and mm. maybe the curiosity drops off a little bit. But I think now there's so much, you know, pop psychology and so much information about how important it is to be connected and, and to develop relationships. So it's hard to go past that now. I know that you've spoken about the fact that if people, so if your team, for example, know that you care about them, that leads then to them trusting you and you can then start to ask that little bit more of them in terms of performance. So it's the first fundamental block actually to getting more out of the people you are leading. Yeah, and that connection can come through a number of ways. I think sometimes it might be the, the goal you're chasing or the vision you're on that you get people along on the, 
on the ride. They buy into it. You do what you say you're going to do, and that builds trust. You show that you care for the players because there's two things that players want particularly, and I'm sure it's the same in most business. You know, people want to know that you can help improve them and people want to know that you care for them. And that care can sometimes be, you know, the uh, arm around the shoulder or sometimes it can be a, a couple of tough words, but you know you're trying to move them to a better place. In terms of that difference between whether it's an arm around the shoulder or some tough words and deciding which one to use, is that just down to experience or is that something you've intuitively always had? Uh, well, I think experience helps you with that, but I think that um, you develop that through your observation skills. And yeah, you know, I was lucky enough when I was a, a player to have a great coach in in Bob Dwyer, and he was fantastic in that, knowing what people needed. And I think if you've been lucky enough at an early age to have a role model, that helps you develop those those skills that you need to be observant. Mm. But you know, I'm I'm glad you mentioned about being observant and the importance of observation, which I know is is vital to you. And and I was wondering to what degree, uh, if if we can quickly go back to when you were growing up, so a Japanese mother, an Australian father, you're growing up on the tough side of Sydney to some degree. Did you feel like an outsider and did that contribute, first of all, to your tremendous drive, but also to your observational skills, do you think? Uh, yeah, definitely. I always felt a bit different, you know, even now. You know, I'm an Australian coaching England rugby. I still feel like I'm an outsider. In Japan, half Japanese, you're an outsider. So you're always a bit of an outsider. And I think that that driven that drove a desire to want to be part of part of something and help create something. Um, you know, whether it be part of a team as a player, or or lately as a, as a coach, you want to be part of something because we all like to be part of something, don't we? You know, yeah. we want to be part of something good. And uh, I think that was probably driven by what happened by by my circumstances as a young kid. Can you paint a little bit of a picture of your circumstances as a young kid? Because I know you obviously excelled and you've spoken about how sport was so helpful for you in terms of, you know, fitting in in some ways. And how has it contributed to your really relentless work ethic that is renowned throughout sport can you just paint a bit of a picture of how how that shaped you how you know your early experiences yeah well when i was a kid growing up in la perouse which was named after the, the french explorer um it, it was in a, a very working class area i went to la perouse public school i remember the, the you know you were generally in the same you had the same kids for the six years and we had uh, there would have been, say, 30 kids, 26 Anglo-Saxons, uh, three Aboriginal kids and myself. Um, and, and so, you know, you, you were different um, because you had different customs, you know, even to the extent of every time I went around to someone's house, my mother would always make me take a present because that's the way Japanese do things. Yeah, and the people could never understand why that was done. Um, so that sort of, I wanted to be good at sport because I wanted to be part of something. Um, so I tried really hard to be a good cricketer and at that stage playing rugby league and I was good enough to get in the teams. 
and the three Aboriginal boys all went on to play for Australia. You know, they were incredible, the Ella brothers. Yeah. Um, and so I was lucky enough to be in winning teams. Then you, you start to win, you're part of a team, you find a niche. And my niche was that I wasn't particularly gifted, but I had a, a good work ethic for the team. I had some tactical nows. I could be quite fast with my uh, uh, lips. So, <laughs> I, you know, there was a, a role for me to play in the team. Um, and then it, was, it became fun. And once you have fun, you want to get a bit better at it. And then opportunities happened in terms of coaching. But, I, you know, going back to the work ethic, I always remember my father was a, uh, was in the army and then he retired and, and became a public servant. But he was still working two jobs right up until the time he retired because uh, he wanted to provide a better living for the family. So you've picked up some of that then? Uh, definitely, I think, mate. Yeah. And my elder sister, who's a an architect, uh, she's the director of a big company in, in Sydney. She's got an incredible work ethic. You know, she studies, still studies Japanese language three hours a week now. And she should be, you know, well into her late 60s. But the funny thing is we we've got, there's a middle sister who's got no work ethic, who's got zero, <laughs> who's just had perpetual holidays her whole life. <laughs> wow. That's often the way though, isn't it? You, you either sort of follow in the trend of a parent or go in the opposite direction. So I think that makes yeah, makes no, sense. Are you, are you ever envious of that? You know, perhaps the, her more laid back approach to life then as someone who is so driven? Uh, not really, no. I don't, yeah, it's probably, and again, from my parents, it's not something I've ever had a real problem with is envy. Um, mm. uh, you know, we had a fairly early non-materialistic life so we just got on with you know the the pleasures were playing sport being able to go to beautiful beaches and uh that was enough um so i don't really envy what other people do and and my sister's made you know my middle sister's made her choice she's happy um and i'm happy for her great uh, you mentioned that interesting story about how your mother made you take presence which is uh, a japanese custom whenever you went to visit people and something that strikes me about you is is how immersed you get in different cultures and you've obviously coached in australia in japan in england um what could you tell us about for example as someone who is as observant as you are about the english culture that we as english people or as british people we may miss because we're so close to it compared to, for example, the uh, Australian or Japanese cultures. Like what struck you or perhaps surprised you about English culture? Oh, mate, the thing is, is how complicated and how complex it is. And I'm still trying to work it out. Because uh, <laughs> it's, it's such a, you know, you, obviously England has a history as a colonial power and now, you know, people are trying to disassociate themselves from that. Um, and the the only thing I see is that it's a there's a bit of a small island mentality. Um, yeah. And I see that in Japan as well, where people don't want to offend each other. They, they really want to get on and have good relations. So sometimes that can make relationships quite difficult because it's, it's harder for people to be honest. Yeah. And the, the thing that strikes me is, how often English people say, 
uh, to be honest or to be fair. You know, I don't know <laughs> why because what what else would you be? Yeah. <laughs> what what about the propensity of English people, let's say two who knock into each other, for both of them to say sorry? You know, as a nation, we tend to walk around in public, not so much on social media or in the media generally, but in public, sort of apologising to each other perpetually. Have you noticed that? Yeah, no, no, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And and there's and with that, there's a, a desire to be polite and to be to fit in with what's going on at the moment on that moment until alcohol comes in. And alcohol, oh, I think, gosh, yeah. has, a, has a remarkable change on behaviour here, more so than even Australians. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, yes, it's the, the stiff upper lip comes tumbling down on a Saturday night <laughs> in towns all across the country. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a, quite a staggering thing, actually. Okay, one, one quick sort of thought experiment then. If you were to take, let's say, one trait from England or Australia or, or Japan and... And and give it to one of the other cultures. Um, I don't know whether it be that taking a present or something a bit deeper. Is there something each culture or each of those three cultures could learn from the other? And if there was one thing that stood out, what would it be? Oh, one of the, one of the customs I really like in Japan is that, and my wife's really big on it. Wherever you go, you got to leave that area better than it was. Yeah. And it's such a you know a harmonious and simple thing to do that's better for society. I think if everyone everyone could do that, you know, if you go to a park and you go to that park, don't leave it in worse condition, leave it in better condition, you know. And that's a it's a nice way, I think, to be respectful to your environment and to be respectful to others that follow. And what about between England and Australia? What could England learn from Australia and what could Australia learn from England? <laughs> I don't think there's too much England can learn from Australia. You know, <laughs> Australia's still trying to find itself. Um, no, look, uh, you know, Australians are probably the opposite of the English, aren't they? You know, they're quite straightforward. You know, we can be quite crass. Um, uh, but I, I think the the one thing, you know, Australians have been good at, and I think it's changing a lot now too, is they've always had that desire to fight for each other, mm. um, regardless of the situation. I think English have got the same, but yeah. it takes something more to get it out of the English than it does for the Australians, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense, yeah. But that's that perhaps that reserved side of our character. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's correct, yeah. Okay, let, let's move on to your coaching career, Eddie, which has been remarkable. So you've had two World Cup finals as a coach, one win as assistant coach, the greatest ever, I would say, individual World Cup single match performance when Japan beat South Africa. I can still remember that flowing move in the last dying minutes thinking, no, they can't, they can't. They have in 2015. When you look back, and I know you're not finished, but are you proud of what you've achieved? Uh, I like to think about the effect it's had on the country. And the thing probably I'm proudest of is Japan's now become a serious rugby country. You know, yeah. whereas when we started, they were the joke country. You know, I can remember the 2015 Rugby World Cup presentation. You go there and you get your caps. And they showed this vision of Japan getting beaten 150 points by, by New Zealand in, in the 1995 World Cup. And they basically didn't have any any good stuff to show. And now they've become a team that everyone wants to play. 
and you know that's my hope with England that when we when we finish here, we've got a team that's consistently been in the top three in the world and is fighting for the biggest trophies all the time. And that's what England should have. And if we can leave that in place, then it'd be a, a job well done. How did you change the psychology of Japan? Because I've heard you talk about they were almost okay with losing. You know, they might go in there with an inferiority complex, be out-muscled for 50 minutes and then let fly for the last sort of 20, 30 minutes. How did you instill in them a belief that actually, no, they, they could compete and even beat the best in the world? Yeah, it was, it was looking at what traditionally they were good at and then adding to it. So I remember playing against the Japanese schoolboys in, this was 1977, I think, and they played quick scrums, quick lineouts, and we couldn't move them in the scrum. They scrummaged so low and they scrummaged so quick, the ball was in and out. They had quick line-out movements and they moved the ball. Um, so they had, a, they had a point of difference, but what they didn't have was any sort of training culture. They had a discipline culture, which meant they trained for, for three or four hours um, and it was all about creating discipline. But what it was just m- making was the players tired. You know, so they'd play hard for 20 minutes and they were so t- tired from training during the week, they couldn't play the rest of the time. So we trained even harder, but shorter, more intense. You know, we trained three times a day. We went back to playing the Japanese style of play, fast, move the ball, use your, use your lack of height as an advantage. So I looked at everything that they weren't good at and find a way to make it into an advantage. And I think, you know, they've, they've continued to do that. And Jamie Joseph has, has improved the team remarkably since I've left. Was there a penny drop moment for them, though, before even they beat South Africa so famously in 2015? Yeah, no, 100%, mate. In 2000 and I think it was 2013, we played Wales. It was when the Lions tour was on. Was that, that'd be 2000, yeah, it yeah. was 2013. Yeah. So Wales were without their Lions players and we played them in, in Osaka, which is the, the biggest city in the West. And we led the whole game um, and then our little left-footed uh, winger, Kenki Fukuoka, who, who was a star at the 2019 World Cup, did a chip and chase. They got it and scored and won it in the last moment. We dominated like 95% of the, the game. And so the next day, we were in a, a really nice hotel in Osaka and the people didn't know what was going on. We had a team meeting literally in the lobby of the, of the hotel and we just covered one thing we needed to change, which was playing don't let the opposition recover. And the next game, we beat them easily in Tokyo in, in these humid conditions. You know, it was about 35 degrees, 80%, but we beat them easily. And from that period on, the players started to believe, well, if we can beat them, we can beat anyone. You know, we're prepared to have a go to beat anyone. And, yeah, if you're prepared to have a go, then you don't know what can happen. Yeah. And just to relate what you managed to achieve with Japan to real life, to everyday life, if you like, where, you know, belief is an important thing. And I think what what was it? The the average score with uh, Japan and World Cups, they were getting thrashed by sort of 60, 70, 80 yeah. points, weren't they? And then yeah. obviously that that turned round. But so for anyone listening who perhaps struggles with self-belief, you know, how would you encourage them, someone listening to, what are the steps you would 
perhaps if they were if you were their personal coach for a month or so to go through to develop some some belief about what was possible in their own lives uh look at what's impossible what's impossible to do and set that as a target and then every month set a goal underneath that that's achievable so you have short-term goals that are achievable you have a long-term goal that looks like it's impossible and and you just keep working that plan every month Wow. Keep reviewing it. Like, you know, there's another great example of a Japanese company, Uniclea, you know, the casual yeah. wear. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the owner of that, who's 75 now, Yanai son, he started off in a small uh, department store in Western Tokyo. The first, first uh, week he took over, he sacked the whole staff. Uh, and they didn't probably want to work for him anyway. And anyway, had had this dream about being the bi- biggest casual clothes maker in the world, right? So he kept on every time he 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 achieved success in that in that store in Western Tokyo. Then he set up this whole chain where he not only set up factories to make clothes in China, he ran the he ran the the the, the factories in China. So he had every bit covered. Everything was under his control. And it was last year that he became the biggest casual clothes maker in the world and it shows you what it shows you what you can achieve that if you really set your sight and you want to do something put put an ambition up as high as you can and and people will think you're crazy and then every month set yourself smaller goals and achieve them and then you'll keep working up you get that compound effect and you mightn't get your your the goal that you achieve but you might get close to it and getting closer, it's going to be a pretty good, pretty good ride for you. So to just see if I've got this right. So it needs to be about something that basically shouldn't be possible, really. And then working backwards uh, to make it possible, as the, uh, that Uniqlo founder, or rather the guy who runs it, did. And you spoke about, you know, there will be people who say, oh, it can't be done. So what about the naysayers? How do you, how do you not heed their words how, how do you let them bounce off you rather than take them to heart uh well that's where you know you've you've got to get the right people around you to support you you've got to have you know one or two people that believe in what you do and the more success you have the more you'll get people to believe in what you're doing so you've got to have those achievable success that's that are smaller periods of time where you, you know like us for japan beating wales um yeah. Yeah, the England team having an undefeated season and then being able to get to the World Cup and and for one week be the best team in the world, whereas four years ago they were, they were the eighth-ranked team in the world. So you can, you can keep building towards that and you've just got to ignore it, mate. There's so much noise out there that you've just got to ignore it and you've got to develop that, that almost funnel vision about what you want to achieve. And it's funny, like you say, funnel vision, but then at the same time, you've got to be looking out. So you've got to be looking in and looking out because out there's better things to better things to do and better ways to do it than you're doing it at the moment. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned compound effect as well. Could you just share a few, few words on that? Because this is something people talk about, but also I think a lot of people don't really understand what this means. Yeah, I think it's, it's just my, my interpretation of it. You just keep doing the small things really well and you keep doing it 
And what you do, you build up banks of credit and they then become good habits for you. So it might be like, you know, every morning you do 10 lots of one minute exercise, right? So you build that up over a period of time. Like everyone can do that. Yeah. Every the, the most unfit person could do that. And then then you, you might then do that for ten weeks and then the eleventh week you go to eleven times one minute. Then twelfth week twelfth week you go to twelve times one minute. And so by the end of it you could be winning the CrossFit games. So compound effect really is just that consistent gradual slow improvement that over yeah. time can re- reap dramatic yeah. results yeah. yeah and you're someone that you work out every single day still don't you for an hour yeah. in the morning mate love it love it <laughs> what's your workout regime look like eddie if you don't uh, mind me asking oh uh, i've got a i usually do a bit of aerobic work for maybe 20 30 minutes um and then i'll do a little um sort of high intensity or crossfit type thing for for 20 minutes and then if i'm feeling really good i'll stretch at the end of it which i should stretch every day but I, even at my age i still find stretching boring um <laughs> uh and then have a steam bath and then i'm in the work wow and at what time are you doing that uh that's usually from six to seven yeah that's amazing yeah i know what you mean about um about stretching i'm actually having to do it myself i've got a degenerative hip so i'm I'm having to embrace it but i remember a comedy line someone once said um taking up flossing is as hard as giving up smoking and i think for for us <laughs> blokes stretching can be a bit like that it is it doesn't give the same immediate gratification that getting a real sweat on does um you mentioned the basics you mentioned basics you know and, and doing them like uh, and, and gradually building them up and building them up. And I know you've, you, you can't, I've heard you, and I imagine this will be in your book. So here's my prediction. Um, you talk about the Vince Lombardi, uh, when he goes into, when he went into any new club, he would talk about, he would pick up the ball, wouldn't he? And he'd go, this is the football and bring yeah. people back to the basics. And so in terms of elite performance, do you think people sometimes overlook just the importance of, the basic stuff, which, you know, as a rugby player, let's say, you, you know, you learn playing mini rugby. Passing is the obvious example. But in, in any area, people think that it's it's got to be something complicated, whereas often it, it, it is actually just really nailing the basics as well as you possibly can. Yeah, no, 100%. It's been brilliant at the basics. It's like, uh, I don't know what age you are, Simon, but there was a movie called Sound of Music and it had a song. Oh, I love right? it. Love it. Do Ray Me. And, yeah. and, that, and that explains how you can be good at things. Because if you, if you know the scales of music then you, and you know them really well, you can play any sort of music. And it's the same in rugby. If, you, if your basic skills are really good or any, any job or any sport, if your basic skills are really good and you're asked to play in a different way, you can put it together. And so it's that that attention to detail at your basic skills, be brilliant at the basics, don't go away from them, uh, and then you can create something beautiful. Yeah. So for someone listening who might be thinking, I, in rugby it's really obvious, you know, the passing, uh, yeah. the tackling, etc. But for someone listening who perhaps is thinking in their job or another area of their life, I'm not actually sure what the basics are. I mean, think of a relationship, for example. I mean, we don't have to go there, but you know what I mean. Um, how do you, would you encourage someone to identify 
what the basics are and then work to ensure that they are razor sharp in any area? Uh, look, I don't know, but I, I would hazard a guess you've got to sit down and work out what you'd like to do, what you like to do. Say, if, say it's a relationship and, and you would want to work out what you'd like to do in that relationship. What are the fundamental things you, you have to do that allows you to do that? Mm. And, they'll, and they'll come out, they'll come out as they do in most things. Like, you know, if you want to be brilliant at, at, uh, at high-level mathematics, unless you know your times table, which is the basis, isn't it? The arithmetic's yeah. the basis. Yeah, that's why they call the arithmetic in primary school and mathematics when you get to high school, because the arithmetic gives you the base to do mathematics, which is more complex. And yeah. you just got to look at it. like So there's those small building blocks of everything you do. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Yeah. Okay, here's one, Eddie, and I apologize to be a bit, um, a bit self-centered here, right? But I want to be a bit more concise with my speech sometimes. I, I feel that sometimes I can be a bit long-winded. And I know that you really value concise communication, and we'll, and we'll get yeah. on to that. But in terms of, for example, me practicing like you do when, when you're training in rugby and, and most people don't train for their jobs like they do, you guys do in elite sport. But I know you like to create, recreate the obvious as, as close as possible to match play situations. But if I wanted to a bit, get a bit, bit more concise with my speech, how would I go about recreating the environment of a conversation like this and then training to do that? bit of a tricky one and a bit self-indulgent, but I couldn't resist. I think, you know, the first thing I would think about is, is practicing uh, in a mirror, talking to the mirror as though you've got a guest there, tape recording it, listening back to it, and then working out what are the words you don't need to say. Amazing. Like, you know, I, I was, we were talking about the other day as coaches. Uh, yeah, we, we send out messages and you hear it all the time, you know, raise the intensity. But what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. Like, 
you know, the players aren't going out there deliberately not trying to play with intensity. So if we can find more specific and better words, which there is in, in everything you do, uh, a better way of saying things. And the only way you can do that is by reflecting on how what you do talk like now. Um, and that can be done through looking in the mirror and obviously recording it and then working out, right, how can I be more uh, specific? How can I be more intentful in what I'm trying to say here? Yeah, because I know that you really love simple communication. This is something that you really value in your role as England coach. And it stemmed because uh, I read somewhere that you said that um, when you were a player and you'd be training and then the coach would stop everyone and get stuck into some long-winded monologue and you'd be like, oh, will you wind your neck in? We just want to be playing. So you've adopted that and you try and communicate, you know, really to the point on the go. So this is uh, clearly, you know, something you really value, simple communication. And uh, it's, it's something I don't think gets talked about a lot or, or perhaps enough. I don't know what you think. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Uh, yeah, simple, effective communication. We're all trying to get a bit more succinct and a bit more direct in, in what we say. And, you know, the, the other part of that, the more people are under stress, the less they listen to. So, yeah. you know, with our players, they're generally under a stressful situation. So our ability to give them the, the words or the, the picture in their head quickly and clearly, they've got a great un, greater chance of understanding it if we keep it shorter and, and less complicated. And that can apply in any forum, I guess, in, to any lead in any business is concise and clear is almost always better, even if you feel like you want to deliver a Churchillian barnstorming speech. Yeah, no, no, 100%. You know, most people, and the, and the research shows that most people can only ever remember three things. Yeah. So if you have a, you know, you go to a business meeting and there's 65 slides. Well, three of them account, the other 62 are for, I don't know, I'm still trying to work out what they're for. But, you know, you, you, what you're trying to do is if you want it to be a serious learning learning exchange, then you've got to identify what are the three key things you want the people to learn and then make sure you present those in an intentful way. Okay, so what are the three key things then for you about leadership? That's a very good question. Um, well, I think you've always got to set a vision. That's the most important thing. You've got to set a vision because people want to generally be part of something special. Yeah. So you've got to set a vision. You've got to be very good at, at planning and be adaptable. So you set the vision, then you work out from that vision. Uh, you work back from that vision what you need to do. So you need to plan, but you need to be adaptable. And then you have to be inspirational. And that inspiration can, can come from the way... You care from people, the way you create the environment, the way you speak, um, the knowledge that you have. That can be a number of things. It's not just inspirational in terms of, you know, standing at the front of the room or standing at the front of the town hall and giving a great speech. It might be through the way you care for people. might be through an, an, a number of different mediums. Fantastic advice. Now, I'm going to come back to some leadership bits in a mo, Eddie, but I just want to ask as well, uh, as I mentioned, you've announced obviously you're leaving uh, England after the 2023 World Cup and you will have been England's longest serving coach. 
when you started the job, could you have imagined that would have been the case? No, I just wanted to get through the first year, mate. <laughs> well, you did that pretty well, to be fair. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely cruise that. But I mean, huge congratulations because that is an achievement. Well, um, it hasn't happened yet, so we okay. But look, count, look, count, look, look, Eddie, you're safe. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I'm I'm counting it. I'm counting it as done. But uh, would you? Is there any satisfaction though for you? Because you know there were one or two people over the years who've said, "Oh, you know, perhaps you're a short-term results guy, that kind of thing." And you have proved that. You know, you've gone, there's been ups, real high ups with England. There's been the odd little dip. Probably the best individual performance by England in that semi-final against New Zealand that, that any yeah. England England fans ever ever witnessed. You know, is there a, a bit of satisfaction in improving those people who said, oh, you know, he wouldn't last, you know, long time wrong and actually leaving as, let's assume that you're going to do that, as the longest serving coach in England's history? Yeah, I haven't really thought about it. Uh, I haven't thought about it at all. The The main thing for me is how I leave England. Like, I want to make sure I leave England where they're always thinking they should be top three in the world. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the main thing. That that will be – that'll be a, a job well done. Um, and then you move on to the, whatever happens next, mate. Uh, do you know what? That's really nice because that obviously correlates with what what you did with Japan, but it also correlates with that Japanese value of leaving a place better, doesn't it? So there's a yeah. thread going through there. Yeah, I've never actually thought about like that, but that's that's true. Yeah, it's interesting yeah, no. how values show up in your life, and uh, yeah, you, you're. I mean, you're scaling it up in a big way, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely seems to me to be a, a thread running through there. Now. Uh, and something I know about you, uh, Eddie, is is how much you speak to people from all other spheres. You mentioned the Uniqlo guy. You're always looking to learn. You speak to people from all other sports. And I know in the book, there's going to be excerpts and, and what you've learned from people like Sir Alex Ferguson, from Pep Guardiola. I believe that you spoke to Danny Kerry, the GB hockey coach. Am yeah, I, am I? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Uh, he's been on the pod. I love that, Danny. I think it's yeah. his, his evolution is... Oh, amazing yeah, guy. Yeah, and yeah. and his evolution as a coach has been tremendous. And I think, you know, if hockey was more mainstream, he'd he'd be spoken about in the same breath as as your you know, Fergie and Pep and all that kind of stuff. But 100%. what what are some of the best nuggets you learnt from from Titans like those? Uh well they're always I think yeah, you know, everyone's got their own way of doing things. But there's always a way to to do it slightly differently and just get a different idea. Like I was involved with a, a group the other night, um, you know, people from uh, NBA, people from MBL, FIFA, Tour de France cycling. And it was an incredible group. And I felt like I'm just sitting there trying to, trying to keep up with the conversation. And they were just describing about like high, how high performance is like pushing a boulder up the hill. As yeah. soon as you stop pushing, it rolls back on top of you. And it's just, so it's just another little way that then creates other ways of thinking about, right, how can I sell this hard work and effort? Because in all, in all high performance, what, what you're trying to do is get that discretionary effort in performance, in their, the effort of their performance, because that's the key thing. And that's the hardest thing to do, you know, to keep working hard all the time. 
what you've said there reminds me of a quote and I'm going to mangle it, but I, I've certainly read it in the course of my research where you say something like, you know, you're never a good coach, but you're always striving to be a good coach. So like you never arrive, but you're always yeah. striving to arrive. That's yeah. kind of the secret of success. Hundred <laughs> percent, mate. Brilliant. And you look at Roger Federer, like yeah. why yeah. at forty odd or whatever he is, does yeah. he still have a tennis coach? When he knows more about the game than anyone because he wants to continually get better. Yeah, and yeah. it's obviously not he's not playing because of money. He's playing because he loves the game and wants to keep getting better. And I it's just fascinating how how some people can do that. And other people can reach success. Like, you know, if you look at boxing at the moment, as Anthony Joshua, for instance, lost the eye of the tiger, did he lose that desire to work really hard? What was it? What happened? And no one knows. You can't really guess what's happened because he might have things going on in his personal life. You don't know what's going on. But, you know, you see that, don't you, that short-term success and then people lose that desire to keep working hard, keep wanting to be the best. So you need to maintain that motivation and, and when it's keep an eye out for it dropping basically. Or not necessarily motivation, but commitment. Because Commit motivation, I suppose, goes up and down, but commitment, you know, you yeah. always have that choice, that control. Commit commitment, humility, open mindedness, and then you continually want to learn. And they're all hard things to keep doing. Yeah. I know another thing that will be in the book that I'm looking forward to reading. You talk about the high performance cycle of success. Would you mind giving me, a, giving me a snapshot of what that means? Yeah, well, I think, you know, any any sort of cycle of success usually starts with disappointment. You know, usually the team's not done well or the individual's not done well, and then they've got a reason to chase a, to chase a dream. And so you create a dream or a vision. You work really hard to get there. The team comes together. It nets really well. And you have some success. And from that success becomes more positive thinking, more hard work, and then you start to have some sustainable success. And then you come to a, you know, as they say in the classics, a fork in the road, yeah. where you either make the decision you'll keep doing this, or and 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 a lot of times it's done unconsciously, or you you tend to rest on your laurels. And if you rest on your laurels, drop off a little bit, and we might be only talking about one or 2% here in, in teams particularly. And then you're back into the cycle of failure. And with that failure comes the opportunity now to get in the cycle of success and you keep repeating it. And I reckon it just keeps going and going all the time. And teams generally works in about two or three year cycles. So that disappointment that we all go through, because we all go through ups and downs in life and, and we label things as good and bad. And obviously it's, it's much more easy to enjoy the successes, the highs. But actually the disappointments we go through are fundamental to success and, and to, to hitting those highs. And uh, obviously I know you've been through some difficult times like after, after you left Australia um, and it's sort of around 2005 and a few other times. But so are you able now to look at those, those challenging times and, and almost be grateful for them, for the learning you took from them? Uh, well, I don't know about grateful. I don't think you're ever grateful when you when you're not doing well. But I think what you have to look at if if you enter the the high performance uh, arena, you've got to enter it in the in the spirit that you're going to have some good times and you're going to have some not so good times. Yeah. And those not so good times are the ones where you really got to stay in the fight. 
and you've got to stay committed to your values and, and the principles of how you do things. And if you do that, then you'll get another period where it'll be good. But, the, you know, if if everything went in a straight line in a positive direction, it'd be pretty boring, wouldn't it? Oh, definitely. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone would be doing the same thing. And, and, and life's not like that. Like life's about having success, then failure. And if you're, if you're able to minimise the, the cycle of failure, then you're into another cycle of success and, and you want to maximise that cycle of success. So that, that becomes the art and the skill then within those cycles of how you either maximise or minimise the cycle. You talked about difficult times, Eddie, and I know a particularly difficult time for you personally was between around 2013 and 2015. You were suspected of having a stroke. You also lost your father. But you also have said that that period was quite important in terms of uh, your approach to coaching, your approach to leadership, because it softened you a little bit. And as a result, that softening actually made the people you work with willing to give you a bit more. Is that accurate? Uh, I think that's pretty spot on, mate. Uh, yeah, I went, had a stroke. I had to uh, change my lifestyle a little bit, um, slow down a little bit, sleep a bit more, eat a bit better, drink a bit less. You know, I was probably more respectful of God during that period and more respectful of other people, I think and how other people operated. And I've tried to keep that. And sometimes I fall back to my old habits. Um, but, but uh, you know, I've really tried to be more respectful of, of how other people operate. And they don't operate in, the, in exactly the same way I do. Has it changed your view of mortality even? Uh, just made me realise that no one's Superman. Um, yeah, yeah. We all like to be Superman. Um, but, but you've just got to, you've got to be, uh, conscious of the fact that you've got to look after yourself and, and keep evaluating yourself. I think that's a big thing. Yeah. You know, I think when, when you're young and you've had some success, you don't tend to evaluate yourself as, as closely as you should. And I think that's a really important, uh, skill to have that reflection skill. And it's probably the thing that's changed the most for me, uh, since the stroke that I've tried to reflect reflect more clearly yeah am i right in saying every three months you write down a personal development plan so you're looking at ways you can improve professionally certainly i don't know if it's personally as well uh, a is that right and b what benefits do you see in that and c how valuable would it be for someone listening to adopt that as a practice yeah i look it's just a simple little thing i do i just i just did october november december today actually it just, I reckon, it compartmentalises periods of your time. So for the next three months, I know exactly what I want to get after professionally. Uh, personally, I'll look at something concerned with me and then it'll obviously, not obviously, but then how, how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better father? And I'll try to look at those sort of things. What do I need to do? And I reckon it just helps you have a little bit of focus because otherwise I reckon the time periods just run on and you've got to, you've got to look to see how you can be a bit more focused about that. Yeah, I think that's uh, great advice. How long do you spend doing it every three months? Oh, mate, literally it took me 10 minutes this morning. Yeah, and I can tell you the things professionally, 
I've just written it because there's no secrets here. Uh, be a better coach of the coaches. We've got a new coaching staff in. Yeah. Um, we're working on this uh, concept called trademark games for the players. So it's it's about the relationship between the coaches and the players, and then and then the players and the players learning a bit more about themselves. And the ABC of coaching, which is the approach, the body language, and the communication. So I'm working with a forensic psychologist on that. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you very much uh, for sharing that, Eddie. That's really, really fascinating. So it took you 10 minutes this morning, but when you first started, was it a bit of a longer process? Yeah, a bit longer, mate. Uh, You get a bit longer in the tooth, it comes a bit easier, mate. Uh, now, Eddie, I managed to find a little video of you, right, talking about, you know, your book and, and you spoke about your top five moments. Number one, you said beating, well, I can't remember which order, but it, it went something like this. So obviously beating New Zealand when you were with Australia in 2003, when a, when New Zealand was certainly favourites to win that match. I remember, yeah. you know, you beat them pretty handily. You've got a bit yeah. of a habit of doing that, actually. So beating it's them in two... Habit, Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, 2019, you know, that performance I mentioned when England yeah. beat, it beat New Zealand, Japan, uh, beating South Africa, and there was a fourth one. But you were looking ahead to 20, 2023 as well in the fifth one, which I yeah. thought was really nice. But just refre- reflecting back on that final in 2003, because obviously England were big favourites, and a lot of people would argue that Australia overachieved or certainly you know, did incredibly well to get within a whisker of winning and of lifting the title. But, you know, when when the score was level, I can't remember what it was, 14 all or I think it was 14 all. And, you know, it was kickoff and obviously Australia were back in the game. And then all of a sudden it became very clear what England were going to try and do, would be try and get Johnny in front of the post and and do that kick. Did you have a a bit of a sense of foreboding that there there might be not much you could do to stop that as coach on the sidelines? No, 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 we knew it was on and we practised our defence against it. And uh, again, it was a great example for me of, of not coaching something well enough. So we made a mistake in our defence against it. Uh, you know, one of our players allowed... Because Dawson, what they do, they'd set up for a field goal and then Dawson would look for the defender to be... attention to be slightly off and dart through, which would give him another yeah. 10 metres. Yeah. Um, and then it becomes a kickable field goal because if he doesn't get that 10 metres, then it's a 45-metre drop kick and yeah. the odds of a 45-metre drop kick are pretty low. But yeah. a 35 metres is different. And so it just reinforced to me I didn't coach it well enough. We didn't coach it well enough as a coaching staff. Um, and they were they were a little bit better than us, but, you know, sometimes you get beaten and, and you're not happy, but, you you know your team's given everything they they can. The fans think that, the supporters think that, and yeah, you, know, you got one happy dressing room, one sad dressing room. But uh, that that was probably that defeat was easier to take than two thousand nineteen. Um, was it? Where you know we didn't play to the best we could. You know, and, you know, I don't. Again, I don't like to get beaten, but if we played close to our best and got beaten, it would have been easier to accept. But we just didn't get a few things right at the start of the game. And again, had that compound effect, mate. Yeah. You know, little things became on each other, became big things. So we'll get another chance in 2023. Certainly will. And I know you're absolutely chomping at the bit for that, which is very exciting, I think, to, to have someone so focused on, on such a, or have such a explicitly detailed vision 
Uh, and it's come around quick, crikey. Or it, will, it feels like it's coming around quick anyway. Right, last few things, Eddie. In terms of, uh, of leadership, the sense I got from the research I've done is, is leadership is about empowering the people you work with. So not necessarily being above them, but giving them the tools to lead themselves. Is that your take on it? Uh, look, I think increasingly the way young people are educated, leadership's become about collaboration. It's about making sure that everyone's working together to achieve the same goal. You know, and the, the complexity of, of that is that you've got everyone wanting to achieve the same thing, but at the same time, increasingly people want to have their own, want to be able to express their own personality. You know, and you see that probably at the nth degree in American sports now, and, and it will follow in, in the more traditional Anglo-Saxon sports that players will want to express themselves more individually. And the challenge for rugby is it's such a complex team game to get that balance right between mm. allowing the players to be individual and, and getting the, the team uh, ethos and ethic and spirit right. Will Carling, I had on the podcast a while back, and he said a key thing about being a leader, this is uh, some advice he got from his time in the army, was about fairness. And so treating everyone equally. What's your take on, on that? Yeah, uh, I think you've got to treat everyone fairly. I don't think it's equally because uh, people need different things. I think it needs to be seen as being equal, but in fact, you're always treating everyone a bit differently, but fairly. Mm. Um, I think that's a very key point and a good point from Will. He's a pretty smart character, isn't he? Oh, I'd say I loved Will. I'd say he's a, he's a great guy. Yeah, no, Uncle Uncle Bill is a he's a fantastic bloke. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then and then in, in terms of being open to feedback, because obviously you, the players that you coach have to be open to feedback, but but so do you. And and it it sounds like you are even in the most critical criticism, there will still be nuggets to take away from that. But yet a lot of people struggle with feedback. You know, I know I get emails from people saying I don't like this I don't like that and invariably your initial reaction is one of there might be a bit of a hot flush in your stomach or something like that a bit of god this guy's irritating or whatever but then actually once that's died down invariably there is uh, something useful you can take from it what's your take on feedback from that point of view yeah uh, I think as you said you gotta you gotta develop an appetite for it uh, because it's not easy um, and I've increasingly tried to get someone within my staff to be like a truth teller. So we had Neil Craig, who was a very experienced AFL coach. Unfortunately, he hasn't been with us for the last period of time because of COVID, do that job where he he just tells you how it is. Um, and we have the most robust conversations at 7.30 every morning over coffee. And that's really important that you've got that, that person who's prepared to tell you the truth. Because I think... The longer you're in a job, and I'm sure this is the same in every business, the less the less inclined people are to give you the truth, and they'll just they'll just give you little bits and pieces. And I'm sure it's the same on a podcast. You know, the longer and more successful you are, the less inclined people are, are to give you the feedback. So you need that that external person to come in from the outside and be able to tell you the truth. Absolutely, I'm always grateful for for the feedback. I've actually a guy I hire. He's half French and I hate to be stereotypical or anything like that, but he's very blunt. <laughs> and he told me that 
when my hair was getting longer during lockdown, he was like, your hair is dreadful. And I'm like, hang on a sec, I hire you and I pay you money. Are you being serious? And he was like, absolutely so. And I thought, right, I'm definitely sticking with you because I know I can trust you to be honest with me. Please never change. You know, and it's become like this ongoing joke. But that, that yeah, you want that honesty, even if it's a bit tough to swallow. Okay, last question or, or last thing then, um, Eddie. You talk about different types of leaders. And I thought this is really interesting because people think, oh, there just is one, you know, within an organisation, there'll be one leader at the top and that's it. But you talk about, you know, there are tactical leaders, there's social leaders, emotional leaders. How do you differentiate them and what are they bringing to the table? Yeah, well, I think you've, you've got to have a leadership team that covers the whole raft of responsibility, which is the, you know, the, the hard skill side and the soft skill side. And, and you've got to be able to identify for each person what they're going to be better at. Like, yeah, generally the coaching cycle is if a team does badly because they've had a really relationship-based coach, they'll bring in a really tough task-oriented coach and then he'll get criticised for being too tough. They'll win. Then they'll go through a bad period, which will be every team. So what will the next coach be? There'll be a relationship type coach and they'll do well for a while they'll fail and then the, then it'll go again you see it in every sport it's fascinating it is fascinating yeah so it's it's that that circle but then and just quickly in terms of the you talk about the social you know the off pitch leaders who you might have within a squad so within any business or within any organization the people who aren't just leaders perhaps in the boardroom or anything like that but are good at getting people together in, in, in that fun side, which I know is a really important aspect for you as well. Yeah, no, those, we call them glue people, mate. They are so important. They keep people together, you know, that know when to have a bit of a laugh, you know, encourage people to have a, a drink or a cup of tea together. Those people are, are, are so important and, and you've got to make sure you reward those people for the job they're doing because they are, they are providing a, a very key leadership role. I think particularly... Now where everything's a little bit tighter and a little bit more result driven, you know, certainly sport is and, and, and it's the same in other businesses. You need those people who, who create a, a really good social environment for people to, to relax when they need to relax. And uh, then they have the opportunity to switch on post the relaxation. Well, listen, I really take my hat off to you, uh, Eddie, I think, because I think in a lot of cases, people like that are often overlooked. So I think that is something uh, a lot of people would do well to adopt. So, uh, yeah, actually, you've been full of golden nuggets. So I, I'm very grateful for your time, Eddie. Uh, like I said, you made a fantastic impression on me briefly in Penny Hill Park. And the last hour has been, been a real joy. And I'm, I can't wait to enjoy the last couple of years of your tenure leading up to the 2023 World Cup. So listen, just thank you very much. I know you're a busy man. I really have really enjoyed talking to you. So thanks a lot, Eddie. Appreciate it. No, thanks, Simon. I enjoyed it too, mate. Some really good questions there. So all the best with your podcast, mate. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to this week's episode with Eddie Jones. I love that idea of learning from Japanese culture and aiming to leave any place, interaction or indeed any person better off than when we arrived. I would love to hear your thoughts and what stood out for you. Do drop me a message via social media at Simon Mundy or email me via my website, simonmundy.com. If you could share this episode, 
I would be very grateful and please do rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder about this week's Monday on a Monday newsletter featuring three of the best nuggets from over 160 of these conversations dating back three years. This week, looking at how to navigate intimate relationships and asking that perennial question, do you want to be right or happy? Sign up at simonmundy.com. But that's it for now. Thanks again and goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.